Hello and welcome to the Series 8 of the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk founder and CEO, Jeremy Gottschalk. The Platform Podcast features conversations with founders, operators, and leaders from the marketplace and digital platform ecosystem, with the goal of providing valuable real-world lessons that can be leveraged by you, the listener, to help you launch, grow, and succeed. Please note, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not professional advice. For specific issues, please seek an appropriate professional or contact us at info at marketplacerace.com for more information. Welcome to the Platform Podcast. On this episode, I'm welcoming Jeremy Siegel, who's an experienced startup lawyer and seasoned general counsel for various regulated marketplaces, which will be our focus on this episode. Jeremy, I like your name, number one, and it's a pleasure to welcome you to the Platform Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's a great name. I want to talk about regulated marketplaces. However, I'd like to start with your background and experience. Can you talk about your experience with marketplaces generally, and then we'll we'll get into the regulated spaces? Yeah, sure. So I, I've been kind of working with marketplaces for about, I guess, eight years now, ever since I moved to California. Um, my wife and I moved out here from, from the East East Coast, and I quickly um, started working at a boutique law firm that worked in the alcohol space. And uh, a lot of the clients were in the startup areas, including most of the marketplaces that you're very familiar with today, DoorDash, Instacart, Drizzly, Uber Eats, et cetera. And a lot of them had very you know, interesting questions as they tried to figure out how could they start using their, um, their new marketplace to deliver alcohol, which is one of the more highly regulated and fractured marketplaces out there. Um, and so I was there for a couple of years and the firm started picking up cannabis clients and that shifted my focus away from just alcohol to alcohol and cannabis. I was always the most fun lawyer in the room at um, parties. And uh, after two years, I joined Ease, which in California is the largest delivery marketplace for cannabis. And I was there for about four years. I built their compliance platform. Um, I worked very closely with the policy team and I've kind of as a, de- as a deputy general counsel, took on a number of other legal um, areas of expertise. And for the last almost two years now, I've been at a, a Series A marketplace that we've now called, it's now called Feed, and uh, it's a social commerce platform, basically connecting food lovers and some of the best brands in food. And I was brought on there initially because they also wanted to deal with alcohol. And so I was able to kind of bring that expertise in the space of how to deal with different regulations and regulators uh, to four as we try to you know, kind of develop some new modalities of delivering alcohol to you as quickly as possible. And when you talk about a regulated marketplace, um, I think for us lawyers, we kind of get it. But um, can you talk about what a regulated marketplace is and, and maybe differentiate it um, with uh, some of the other marketplaces that consumers might be well aware of? Sure. I think every single marketplace is going to have some level of regulations. There are going to be rules and requirements for how you transact with consumers, period. But certain marketplaces, certain sectors, alcohol, prescription drugs, um, healthcare products, cannabis, have a higher level of scrutiny and a higher level of regulations in place, mostly built around the fact that there is you know, some fear or some either perceived um, or perceived risk when it comes to the transaction or the consumption of the product that's being sold. So as a result, some subject matter expertise is required to figure out how to make sure that every single transaction on that marketplace is both legal and safe for the end consumer. So I'd say that a regulated marketplace is one that has 
just additional scrutiny from some sort of either law enforcement regulatory body that requires folks to think a little more about what happens when a product leaves the vendor to the consumer. And, and with this growing focus on marketplaces uh, globally, um, but particularly in the U.S. and I guess also Europe and the U.K., um, can you talk about kind of the increasing regulatory environment, maybe from where it was when you started in this space to kind of where it is now and, and maybe where you see it going? Yeah, so I think cannabis is a great example of a, of a very vibrant marketplace that was very unregulated for a long time, mostly because it was also federally illegal. Um, but I think as it became more commonplace and people became more used to the fact that it was being used, you know, in an everyday kind of manner, the regulators and lawmakers realized a couple of things. One, they realized that they should put some rules in place to make sure people didn't get sick, or in most instances, especially with alcohol as well, minors were not getting access to products they shouldn't have yet. And also they rec recognize the fact that, oh, well, if we regulate this, we can also tax it. And um, I think, you know, whenever you want to regulate something, you have to be, be able to pay for it. So most of these marketplaces, as they have increased regulations, they also have increased taxes built into them. Um, you see that, you know, think about, I'd say Uber might be one of the, and the, and the ride sharing space might be one of the best examples of that. As we saw that marketplace expand and grow, you saw more regulations come into place and you saw more taxes. You saw, you know, fees from municipalities, fees from airports, et cetera. So I think they go part and parcel as a marketplace becomes more regulated. There are more rules in place. There are more taxes. And I think that that is going to happen regardless of the sector. Yeah, and I think what's, what you said I, that is very important for marketplaces to know, but just in general, as these business models grow and expand, um, they're disrupting a lot of um, industries that are already regulated potentially in their own right, but this new business model kind of flips the, those industries on their head or sideways. And so it requires more regulation. Um, and I mean, I think the, the one of the best examples is in, in the rideshare um, category in large part because it, you know, it, it, it upended the taxi industry and delivery industry um, in a very different way and, and needed uh, a lot different regulations. But also, um, right, there's that, that revenue kind of tax component. Um, one of the things that you and I had talked about before um, in kind of the regulatory space is worker classification. Um, can you talk about a little bit about kind of your experience with that and kind of what you what you've seen? Obviously, California is a prime example, but what you've seen kind of with the worker classification regulation? Sure, absolutely. And I think you know it's it began actually when I was working solely in alcohol because. Like I mentioned, you know, one of the things that regulators really care about when it comes to controlled products and controlled marketplaces is who has access to them and who's making sure that the right people have access. So with alcohol, for instance, there was a lot of tension between the marketplace, the, the worker, be it a gig worker or an employee and the end consumer as to who was in charge of making sure that a minor did not get access to alcohol. So there was like a series of changes in the rules over the past 10 years now as to how that um, that burden shifts from who's in charge and who, who makes sure that we're not getting 16-year-olds drunk because they were able to order you know, a six-pack with their, with their iPhone. So I think that um, 
when you have an employee, it's very clear that the, um, the, the responsibility falls solely on the employer. But in a marketplace where you have, or like, like a three-sided marketplace, like um, for instance, DoorDash, where you have the consumer, one side of it, the vendor, another side of it, and then the worker, the gig worker, the third side of it, who's in charge, who's responsible. So I think that as we find more novel ways for folks to use their free time, which I think is the best way to look at how the gig kind of economy has came to be, we have to figure out who should be in charge of um, of those kind of those safety controls. And I think that is changing every day now that, you know, especially in California, there, there's more scrutiny and the more of the control over who that worker is kind of has shifted the analysis of where the risk lies. There are there's going to be some tension and some push and pull um, as to who, who like who, who um, who's left holding the bag if something wrong happens. I think that at the end of the day, regulations are to ensure that bad things don't happen and then to, you know, to hold folks accountable when something does. And also, like I said before, to make sure that it's somehow paid for. And, and to me, that's super interesting because that's that's really not something I've thought uh, or dealt with a ton is that shift in liability um, when you go from purchasing liquor at a liquor store to purchasing liquor on you know saucy or drizzly and now now you've got other uh, people in the mix in your experience and uh, you know litigating or, or representing yeah. um, some of these platforms, like what shift have you seen and, and I guess kind of what advice, what shift have you seen for marketplaces that are going into these spaces and like to, and, and, and how to think about that? I think that one of the most impactful things I did when I was at ease was actually kind of educating. And as these marketplaces evolved and grew and as they expanded new territories, you're running into a lot of resistance and there's a lot of built in fear of, of things that are new. In the alcohol space, a lot of the fear comes from law enforcement and having to deal with how do we control who's drinking and, and where they're going to be and will there be more drinking and driving, et cetera. Uh, with, with cannabis, it was you know just coming out of very much a, a, an illicit space and regulators were, I think, understandably concerned that we were going to open the floodgates and it was going to lead to you know a, a gateway to just rampant drug use. So when you're dealing with like this fear, education and showing how technology and tools can be used to actually make these things much safer, more transparent, um, more efficient is the best is, is the best way to kind of go forward. So I would sit down with regulators and we would have conversations about here are all the tools that we've built. Here's how we manage ID verification. Here's the third party tools we use. Here are all of the pieces of data that we've collected and we can show you that actually prove that our platform, our technology is probably a safer and more compliant way for a consumer to interact with this you know, regulated product than a more traditional manner, walking into a dispensary, for example, if we're talking about cannabis or walking into a liquor store, um, talking about delivering of alcohol. And, and, and so I want to drill down on that because I think that that is key, right? There, there, I think pre-COVID, um, um, adoption of these different marketplaces and, and platforms and apps, right? It was um, it was kind of, you know, I would say probably growing, but pretty steady. And then, of course, during COVID, adoption uh, went through the roof just out of necessity. Um, and then and, and the, the, the workers on these platforms became um, 
necessary essentially for people to get the, the kind of the basics and, and necessities. Um, one of the things I, I would love to drill down in, in uh, into a little bit is how the um, age verification and and some of that is safer on a platform or um, when you're processing transactions for um, uh, marijuana or alcohol through one of these platforms versus going to a liquor store or dispensary because you know there's one really one point of contact at either one of those places, right? I give them my ID and it looks like me. Great. On I, uh, you know, off I go, could be a fake ID, et cetera. Can you drill down a little bit into some of the additional um, kind of verifications and technology that you've seen in your career um, that make these platforms um, even more compliant and, and, and safer? Sure. So I think, you know, for any regulated space, there are going to be um, some controls, that are put in place. There can be time and place and manner of, of, of purchasing and consumption. They could be, you know, daily, monthly, um, or per transaction quantities. And of course, there's going to be, you know, age verification. So I think that to your point, if if I'm a an individual, I walk into a liquor store um, in a state that has like a, a cap on how much hard liquor I can buy in a day, I can go from one to one to one and I can buy, you know, 10x what I should be because no one's keeping track of who I am and where I am across tra- across platforms. Right. Um, but if there's like, you know, we've seen this kind of development of a, of a most a unified information system for technology platforms in regulated spaces where they are controlling for either on a transaction basis, making sure that, you know, you're only buying what you're allowed to on the transaction um, from that location. And also, you know, that your ID is being verified digitally as well as, you know, using biometric data at times. Um, I've seen some really amazing ID verification platforms that, you know, do a lot of um, checks with selfies and things like that to make sure that this person actually is who they are and, and they are the age they claim to be. And I think that yeah. each each kind Very of tool good. you use kind of increases your ability to ensure that you're selling to the right person and you're selling the right amount, but also it gives you a higher level of defensibility. I think um, it's it's not that difficult for an undercover agent to to go undercover like a law enforcement agent to go into a liquor store, present a fake ID, um, and have one you know kind of bored on, you know, poorly trained individual miss on it being a fake. And then that store getting in trouble and losing their license or being fined. When you've got a number of technology, plot, tech, technology resources in place that are checking against, you know, fraud indicators and, and other, other more sophisticated manners, you've got more defense if, and when something does happen, that's, you know, contrary to law, which will happen no matter what, but the more tools you're using and the more protection you have in place, I think the more protected the marketplace and the vendor can be with and when they do need to defend themselves. Yeah, it's it's um, something that I've talked about a lot uh, about, um, you know, identity verification being the cornerstone of trust and safety for marketplaces, um, obviously to keep some of these regulated products out of uh, underage hands, um, but also to protect the platforms themselves um, because there are some really sophisticated tools and solutions out there um, that can, uh, as you mentioned, um, uh, leverage biometrics, leverage uh, selfies, identification, documentation, but also geolocate the phones. And when all of these data points are used, it becomes far, far better than an individual's judgment when reviewing 
uh, you know, someone's driver's license that could be real uh, or could be manufactured because those driver's licenses are, you know, manufactured driver's licenses are sometimes, um, uh, you know, you can't tell that they're fake. Exactly right. I mean, I, I manage the trust and safety team at Ease and they use a number of tools, including SIP science and the amount of data they could pull from, you know, IP, you know, transaction history, credit card information. And we're able to, you know, pretty effectively identify this person is fraudulent in this manner. We should not transact with them. Or, you know, this this is the very similar, you know, purchasing um, uh, history of this person who we've flagged previously. Let's not let's like increase our level of um, scrutiny on, on this on this person before allowing them on the platform. It was really impressive to see how quickly they could pull together what seemingly disparate pieces of information and create like a pretty effective picture about risks um, in, in the platform. Right. I, I think what's what's super interesting about SIFT um, and a lot of new solutions that have come on the market is they're able to take in so much more data um, than that these platforms collect, which simply didn't exist you know, 15 years ago when I started in this space. Um, and so with the proliferation of marketplaces and the growth of the business model, we're seeing so many uh, innovative technology solutions that really go a long way to kind of managing these risks, complying with uh, regulations, et cetera. So um, it's, it's interesting to, to see that at play, particularly in regulated spaces, um, because I think that that is a real nod to uh, marketplaces' ability to comply with whatever le- level of regulations, but particularly in these highly regulated um, platforms. And, and so one of the things that, that um, you mentioned and, and that uh, I, I completely agree is that, you know, all, all marketplaces are really regulated probably in some way. Uh, the, the days of kind of the Craigslist Wild West is, is pretty much over. Um, and I, I guess what I'm kind of curious to hear from somebody who's been in this space for so long, um, I guess you're probably one of the veterans at this point, um, based on your, the breadth of your experience and the duration of your, of your um, time practicing in this space, you know, what would be your advice to marketplace founders and leaders who are finding themselves in a regulated space um, or, um, you know, are soon to be regulated, um, kind of how do, what do they do? How do they act? How do they go forward? So I think that regulated spaces are, are not the best place to try the um, ask for forgiveness model. I think that it's much more impactful and much more, I think, and much more effective if regulated, newly regulated space or question about whether or not you should be regulated, you just go and ask that question of the regulators. I think that the regulators are in many times, in many instances, learning alongside the operators in the space and the better interaction between the players and the referees, I think the better it's going to work for everybody. And especially now, as you mentioned, as we're getting more and more tools available, um, the more information that you can share up front with the regulator, the better, the more, the more likely they're going to want to work with you as, you know, as some new issue comes up instead of, instead of a reactive kind of um, punitive measure come down, if something happens that they didn't expect, if there's more of a collaborative and conversational aspect to how a regulated market works with the regulators, you'll get much more common sense um, treatment from them. I think that California did a really good job with that when it comes to the cannabis space. And I think that some other states on the East Coast, um, especially, came at it from a much more perspective of, of law enforcement kind of leading the charge, trying to be um, as controlling as possible, and 
many times stifling innovation and also forcing players that wanted to be regulated um, to acting outside of the law instead because they realized that if they wanted to actually have a um, viable business, they couldn't follow all the rules. Right. You know, it's it's funny because, you know, technology um, platforms, these marketplaces, uh, they're, they're, they're new, right? We, we're, we're talking the last, you know, 20 plus years. Um, and so you know, regulation is always far behind. Um, these platforms are often run by relatively young, um, you know, super innovative um, risk takers with great ideas, um, but not necessarily the experience with, um, you know, lobbyists legislators, regulators. And so it shows because I think we've seen that where industries don't self-regulate, um, the regulations come down hard. And if they don't work with the regulators, they come down even harder and more seemingly adversarial um, and and not really helpful to an industry. You know, where if you if you play ball and you work with them, um, you know, the the regulations are likely to be you know, less draconian and, and much more reasonable and in line with a growing industry. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I and think so, you're going to see that in some of these kind of marketplaces that we really have no idea what the hell is going on. You know, the NFT marketplaces, things in the in, you know, the, the fungible digital currency spaces, the regulators are scrambling right now. And I right. think that. Um, I think that the more interaction with these nascent industries, the better from the regulators, because then they'll actually understand what's going on. They won't be building their playbooks from, you know, business models or paradigms that simply no longer apply anymore. And it'll be a better experience for everyone involved, be it the marketplace participants, the end consumers um, and the regulators. And in terms of managing this process, um, uh, coordinating and, and, and interfacing with regulators, in your experience, is this something that um, requires a lawyer or if you're, let's say, in a very early stage, you step into this regulated space, kind of, how, how do they go forward? How do they proceed? Do they need a lawyer? Who do they call? Um, I, I feel like saying that you don't need a lawyer is bad for both of us as practicing lawyers. Right. Uh, that being said, I think that a lot of these industries, especially marketplaces, are built around like connectivity and, and people trying to work together. So I think that I've seen that there's a lot of really amazing you know, industry groups, resources available online, um, and, and folks that are willing to sit down and have a conversation with you and not turn the clock on to kind of help you get up and running. I think that my belief is that you should only need a lawyer if you're completely over your skis and you have no idea what's going on, or you've caught yourself in a situation where you need someone to support you and can defend you in an instance where, you know, something went wrong. So I think there is a lot of free resources and, and, you know, friendly people out there that can help you kind of begin that navigation on your own. But I think that knowing that you can call on a lawyer and knowing that you have someone with such subject matter expertise that knows how to respond to crises, that's where the value of a lawyer comes from. And also when you're setting up your business, having someone gut check and making sure, hey, are, any, are these things I'm doing going to get me in trouble? Because right. at the end of the day, I think that's what lawyers are for. They're to make sure you're not, you don't get in trouble when you get in trouble to get you out as quickly as possible. Right, right. And I, I think that that um, you hit on something very important and advice that 
um, particularly in a space like this, you know, you really want to talk to lawyers who have seen this before and have uh, worked in this space before, because there's a learning curve, uh, certainly an experience curve, and you, you don't want to pay um, for them to learn. You you really ought to find experienced lawyers, which. Um, is a, a good segue um, into what I want to chat about next, um, and that's more uh, focused on you. Um, and uh, you've recently started working with a variety of marketplaces on a fractional basis, um, and I would love to hear more about that um, and kind of what your focus is there. Absolutely, yeah. So, so I, yeah, I um, my belief about, like I mentioned, about legal work and a lawyer is so much can be done to get things set up properly that you don't need a lawyer um, except in times of crisis. So I've started working with a number of companies very early on um, just to kind of get them up and running, you know, answer questions about employment classification, employment contracts, who the regulators are in the space, who they should talk to, provide resources, um, and also kind of be that, um, that kind of uh, that door that you don't have to open all the time. Um, but when you're thinking, maybe I need to call a lawyer, call Jeremy instead. Don't call that expensive outside counsel who's gonna charge me a thousand bucks no matter whether or not they help at all. But instead get that gut check, get that that voice of experience and knowledge uh, that can tell me you don't need a lawyer for you know a 10 hour engagement right now. You need 30 minute conversation with me and we'll get you most of the way there. And then let's check back in a couple months. That's the kind of conversation I wanna have. That's the impactful, value-added conversation that I can provide instead of sending you down a rabbit hole of vetting six different law firms, you know, getting memos you're never going to actually read right. and, um, and and then just kind of be frustrated with a bill that doesn't actually hasn't, you know, that doesn't match up with what the, um, the value received. Right. Right. And, and two things that, that you said, I think that I, I would love to echo and that is, one, you know, when you're working with somebody who's done this before, um, uh, whether it's a regulated marketplace or, or marketplace in general, it, this this idea that, um, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So if you're working with someone who understands this space, oftentimes when I get calls, it's a 10, 20 minute conversation and I don't even bill people. If it's under an hour, it's not even worth my time to, to create, a, a, you know, an invoice and do all of that. I, I'm happy, as I'm sure you are, is just you know, answer the question um, because there's going to be more later on. And so keeping keeping people kind of out of trouble, giving them really good guidance at the beginning um, enables them to go a lot farther, faster. Um, and so I think that 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 is key, you know, really really want to drill down on, you know, find marketplace lawyers, find startup lawyers who have done this um, enough times that they can tell you exactly what you need, when you need it. Um, and and it, obviously it's more cost effective, but also you're getting good advice from, from um, people who have done this before. Interestingly, um, there aren't a ton of us out there, right? There are, most of the lawyers that I find with good experience in this space are at big law firms, which is great. Um, but there's a certain amount of overhead associated with that. And yes, um, 
that's a little bit in conflict with early stage startups, particularly, you know, pre-funding or seed or self-funded. Um, not that the lawyers aren't kind of worth it, um, but it's it's just um, it's not within the budget. And so to be able to leverage somebody like yourself who has been there, done that and can give cost effective uh, advice um, is is key, and so I I I really really want um, people to to understand the value of understanding that number one the lawyer uh, has experience in this space, and two that um, you're really getting kind of as you said you know you're you're, you're getting value for for your money, um, and, and so the million dollar question is how can these um, uh, platform founders these marketplace founders um, find you and get in touch with you. So I um, actually, you know, based on the conversation you and I had, I set up an LLC, um, got myself, uh, you know, set, situated so I can actually kind of provide effective um, support in a, you know, for, 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 for startups, you know, in a pretty easy manner. So Jeremy at LegalMise.com, L-E-G-A-L-M-I-S-E. And I, I, I use that name because um, I'm a home cook and something I've learned a lot is getting your yourself set beforehand will save you a lot of pain later on. You know, you hear the phrase mise en place when you're watching any sort of cooking show or movie about chefs, and it means to make sure everything is in its place. And and mise en legal means legalization. And so that would be a fun play on words to show that if you get your stuff in order at the beginning from a legal perspective, everything's going to go much smoother later on. And that's kind of how I'm trying to position myself as kind of, to your point, answer those, those questions early on, give effective thoughtful advice and prevent a lot of the hangups that happen if you kind of jump into things without setting, setting the table. Yeah. And it must be said it's too much for this, um, for this conversation, but, you know, marketplaces are really unique uh, business models in, in that, you know, you, they have a lot of really strong defenses um, that they can avail themselves of um, whether they're terms of use or CDA, et cetera. But you really have to understand those and make sure that you are um, you know, properly availing yourself of those. Exactly and right. so that's really where and why it's so important that you talk with um, an experienced lawyer in this space early on, because it does, it, it sets you up for a really long runway. Um, and then you only need the lawyers when, you know, there's a there's a, a problem or something down the road, which obviously if you grow and scale, you know, it's bound to happen at some point. But um, then you've not you've not uh, wasted a lot of money along the way um, with, um, uh, you know, cost ineffective uh, legal services. Um, so give me that URL again. Yeah, um, it's so my email, it's just uh, Jeremy at LegalMise.com, L-E-G-A-L-M-I-S-E.com. Excellent. Um, well, I want to thank you for joining me on the platform podcast. Um, I appreciate you sharing with us uh, and providing so much valuable insight into regulated marketplaces. Um, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Jeremy, thank you so much for, for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the platform podcast. You can check out more episodes at marketplacerace.com along with information about all of our conferences, summits, virtual content, and resources designed to help marketplaces and digital platforms launch, grow, and succeed. And follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk to stay up to date on upcoming programs, events, and important news.